15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Good morning, I'm your host David, a.k.a. Baba, and this is Thy Daily Edge. A fresh twist on the morning brief where I share my views on everything from recent news and current affairs to popular culture and personal finance. Hope you enjoy the show. Alright, boom. So, today I want to start a three-part introduction to the world of investing. In today's episode, I'll go over a lot of the terms that you're bound to come across, and we'll set the groundwork of things to start considering. Then, next time, we'll take a look at the quick and easy ways to get started, all the various apps and resources you can use, and in the final part, we'll go a step further. We'll take a look at some more advanced tips, the places to consider if you want to self-invest, and also what to look for when you're picking your own funds. Now, I really want to keep these as short as possible. I'm definitely a waffler, so please keep me in check. But I want to make sure I'm distilling as much useful information as possible in as little time as possible. I know for myself, I'm not a huge fan of long and lengthy podcasts, particularly if the subject matter is excruciatingly simple. And to get there, you have to endure 20, 25, 30 minutes of waffle. So I'll do my best to keep it fresh for you all. And if you have any questions or want to continue the discussion, just drop me a tweet at Just Call Me Baba or at Thy Daily Edge with the hashtag Thy Daily Edge. So I know what you're talking about. So on that note, I promise I won't say hi guys, welcome back to my channel. But please don't forget to subscribe, rate the podcast and leave a review if you find this episode helpful. So let's get started. The very first question to consider is what an investment actually is. Investing, at its most fundamental level, is essentially trying to generate a return from your money. Obviously, you can also invest in yourself through knowledge, etc., but I'm not a motivational speaker, so let's skip all that waffle. In the language of cash money dollars, usually you're putting your money into a particular product which you think will grow in value over time. Generally, you'll want to invest for a long period, so anything over five years. Investing, in my view, is for people that are trying to build wealth over the course of their lives. If you just want fast money you can throw in your pocket tomorrow, I do not have anything for you. I am so sorry. You can always join one of those trading circles, or go to SPAC Nation for their New Year's Eve service, and wait for one of those pastors to dash you 30k. Um, I... I... I cannot lie, ever since I heard that pastor gave one guy Bitcoin, I've been meaning to visit. It hasn't happened yet, maybe that's the Holy Spirit trying to save me, but <clears throat> let me not talk too much. We'll save that story for another time. Now mind you, I'm not knocking trading. I used to day trade for a few years and it definitely has its own place. People can build huge amounts of wealth by trading. But realistically, what most people are trying to sign you up for 
are pyramid schemes, and they also neglect to tell you that to succeed in the long term as a trader, you need three things. One, specialised knowledge. Two, capital. And three, the right temperament. So in simple terms, you need to know where to put the money, you need to have the money to put in, and then you need the tenacity to hold your position and also to know when to get out early. Now, if you want to get good at that game, I suggest that you take the time to learn and build some specialised knowledge before you just go pumping in your money, because I think that's what the majority of people do. Um, With investing, however, there's definitely a lot that you can do at varying ends of the risk spectrum, no matter where you're starting from. Just make sure that you speak to a regulated financial advisor if you have any questions. And in case it wasn't clear, if someone is sending you a message saying, ah, Single mums in your area are making 60k working from home. They are probably not a regulated financial advisor. Trading and investing are not the same in my mind. Trading is for getting rich quick. Investing is for getting rich slow. If you don't have the patience to stick it out for at least 3-5 to years, investment may not be for you either. You can invest in almost anything. You've got stocks, bonds, funds, treasury bills... Those are more traditional sources, but then you've also got art, cars, wine, property, even streetwear. People are creating new financial products all the time. These days, even footballers have been turned into commoditized stocks that you can trade and speculate on their value week to week. The spectrum of possibilities is immense. However, where there's money to be gained, there's also money to be lost. All investments are a gamble. I'm just going to tell you that point blank, right out of the gate. As a general word of caution, only invest what you can afford to lose. And please be aware that you could potentially lose everything you invest. With some products, you can even lose more than you initially invested. So it's definitely worth being extremely careful about the products and markets that you pick. In addition to that, it's also wise to diversify your investments as much as possible. As the saying goes, don't put all your eggs into one basket. Do not take all your life savings and just dump it into the stocks of your favourite company. That company, for all you know, could tank tomorrow. And suddenly you're on GoFundMe trying to raise enough change to buy a multipack of ramen noodles. Don't let that be you. Please. And for the love of all that is good in this world, please do not follow any of these bubblegum boys that say, come and grow your money with me. Or, give me 2k, I'll double it for you. or I've got a guaranteed investment nobody knows about. First of all, first of all, nobody has a guaranteed investment. Even Warren Buffett doesn't have a guaranteed investment. In fact, and I'm going wildly off topic here, but to memory, Berkshire Hathaway, which is Warren Buffett's kind of golden goose, I'm pretty sure that to memory, even when he started it, it was actually a failing company, like that was a failing investment obviously due to his innate financial acumen and brilliance as a person, he was able to come into that company, which was failing, so the investment was failing. Just keep that in mind. As much as he's revered as this incredible investor now, that investment was failing. But he came in, reorganised, and then they used Berkshire Hathaway, which was a failing, I think they did manufacture or something like that. And he converted that essentially into a company that bought other companies. So they bought an insurance company, The insurance company did really well. They took that capital, reinvested, bought another insurance company, 
And so he scaled up from there. So now you have Berkshire Hathaway, which is this huge, huge conglomerate, which owns lots of different companies. And everyone looks at it and thinks, wow, you know, an incredible investor. But actually, it started off as a failed investment. So it just goes to show you that, you know, even the best can have failing investments. But it also shows you that when you have skill and business acumen, you can turn failing investments into incredibly prosperous ones. So, like I said, nobody has a guaranteed investment. There is no such thing as a free meal, unless you're Aladdin. Everybody has an angle. Even if they are not trying to scam you, you'll only be scamming yourself if you don't calculate your risks. Now with all that in mind, please know that I am not a financial advisor. And I cannot tell you what to do with your money. If you didn't catch that, rewind 10 seconds and wheel it back. If you start throwing your money willy-nilly, do not look at me like I owe you anything. Don't look at me like I owe you anything. If you end up selling tissues on the Victoria line because you thought you were slick and you bought a 10k bond right before your rent was due, that is your own personal problem. I am deeply sorry. But I'm here to share the knowledge that I know that I've been able to learn from various sources, whether it's through my career and through work or just lots of the reading that I've done and also personal experience having been investing part of my own salary, part of my savings for the last few years. So let's talk investments. We'll start with bonds. A bond is essentially an IOU. You give a loan to a company or a government entity and they agree to pay you back in a certain number of years. In the meantime, you get what's called a coupon. That's the annualised rate of interest. So effectively, you get money every month, which is your interest, the coupon. And at the end, when the bond finally matures, you'll get your initial capital back. So bonds are generally less risky than stocks, because you know exactly when you'll be paid and how much you'll earn. With bonds, the main risk you're taking is, one, that the company won't go bust before the bond matures. So you want to pick a healthy looking company that looks like it will, at the very least, be around long enough to give you your money back. The second risk with bonds is that they are very illiquid. That means if you buy a bond for 5k, and the maturity period is 5 years, it's very unlikely that a year or two down the line, you'll be able to get that money back if you're suddenly in a pinch and need the money. So it's definitely a risk you have to weigh up. You have to make sure that the money that you're investing in that bond, you will not need it until the bond matures. So do not take money that you need or rely on, your savings, whatever that may be, and put that into bonds or other types of illiquid assets if you can't afford it. If you can, if you have your savings, if you have your nest egg emergency fund, if you have all of that set up, crack at it, go ahead. And we'll talk in the next episode about all the various things you you can be getting involved in, all the various places you can put your money, all those apps, the robo-advisors, all of that. We'll get to that, but for now, let's deal with the basics. In terms of bonds, there's a lot more that I can say. But in the previous episode, um, that was almost entirely about bonds. And I explained things like the coupon, calculating yield, convertible bonds, etc. So definitely check that out if you want to know more specifically about bonds. But for the rest of today, we'll probably just focus on stocks and funds. Stocks are just a different kind of bet. 
instead of betting that the company will still be around long enough to redeem your bonds, you're betting on the total current value of the company. A stock represents a piece of equity. It's a slice of the action, a piece of the pie. The value of your little nugget will generally reflect how well the company is doing. However, please, please, please note that many, many large companies have hundreds of thousands of shares. So it's not like you're getting access to Apple board meetings because you bought a single share over the weekend. And no, you can't go to Foot Locker and ask for free shoes just because you bought some Reebok shares on your little app. I know to some of you that might seem like common sense, but I've seen all sorts of stuff on the internet, particularly on Twitter, and people seem to have all kinds of crazy misconceptions about what owning stocks and shares actually does for you. Most of the time, the fraction of a company you have is so minuscule, it's like a needle in a haystack. Probably smaller than a needle in a haystack. However, it represents economic value to you. And that value can grow over time, which means your personal slice, your little investment, could be very valuable to you. It's probably not going to be valuable to a billion dollar company. That said, you can also get some pretty sweet perks sometimes. I saw just the other week a company was raising equity and they would give you discounted beers every month for investing a particular amount. I also, personally, almost bought a 10k Chilango bond with a friend last year which came with a free burrito every week. That's not the norm though, so forget all that for now. Ironically, I actually ended up finding a different way to get free or discounted meals from Chilango and lots of other places, but I will share more about that when we do an episode on saving. Look out for that. You're welcome in advance because I'm really blessing you guys with the knowledge. So, back on topic, stock prices generally move based on investors' evaluation of the company's performance. This includes leadership changes, new product releases, or how well it's doing financially. Now, a popular misconception that I have been trying my best to debunk for a while is this idea that you need to be rich to invest. Most people think of investing and they're thinking of Warren Buffett and all of these white middle-class men in suits. Now, in this day and age, with apps and smartwatches and screens everywhere, investment really is accessible to everyone. And like I said, on the next episode, I'll talk a lot more in depth about the best apps and places to start. But my point is, don't count yourself out simply because you don't have a boatload to invest. I'd always recommend budgeting and saving and sorting out your finances first, then squaring off any debt. After that, you'll probably want to save up a small emergency fund in case things get sticky down the line. That part isn't strictly investment advice, that's just general money advice. And again, like I said, I'm not a financial advisor, but this is just my personal perspective. But I'd recommend getting all of those basics down before you start investing. If you're not sure where to start, I also plan to do a beginner's guide to saving and budgeting, so stay tuned for that as well. As I mentioned, investing can be a great tool even for those with very modest savings, who want to grow that pot over the course of their lives. Obviously, do not invest anything you can't afford to lose, but even if you only have £10 a month to spare, investing can be both realistic and worthwhile. There are a lot of apps these days, there are a lot of trading and investment platforms where you can start with zero. You can start with one, but I have some that have zero because... Maybe I decided not to use them, or maybe I haven't got around to using them yet, but the point is, 
you can start with nothing. I think even in my very first trading account, I started with, with £250. I think I probably started with something similar in my first proper investment account. It may have actually just been £200. Now, we'll discuss pound and dollar cost averaging more in part three of this series, but it's actually possible that many smaller investors who drip feed small sums on a regular basis can do much better over time than those who simply dump a lump sum into the market. This is because investing regularly over a period of time gives you long enough to ride out bumps in the market, and then on top of that, you still benefit from the snowball effect of your compounding returns. So, let's say you've decided to get started. The very first thing you need to do is decide which platform you want to buy your shares or funds from. Then you need to decide what investments to buy. To use an analogy, imagine you want to buy bread from the shop. Assuming you know the type of bread you want, you'll need to decide where you want to buy it. So if the bread you want is your ultimate investment choice, the supermarket would be your investment platform. I'm going to need you to try and stay with me here because this analogy is about to take a deep dive down a rabbit hole, but I promise it will be well worth it. So, in a supermarket, when you're buying bread, your first choice is generally between freshly made bakery bread and prepackaged bread. So, our bakery bread here is like picking individual stocks. When you're buying fresh bread, obviously you don't pick it up with your hands unless you're a vile human being, but you definitely inspect it closely. Now, each bit in the bakery section might have a slightly different flavour, texture, size and shape. Some have seeds in, some have cheese on, is it a bagel or a croissant or a bap? Some of them are clearly different, but many of the things in that section may also look similar at first glance, until you check the label and realise, actually that's not what you wanted. In the same way, you really have to take care when picking individual stocks, because no two are identical. The packaged bread, however is more like funds. Inside each pack is several slices of bread, and you can generally be safe assuming that each pack from the same brand will be identical. And most of the time you're buying the product for the brand based on how it's differentiated, rather than the specific ingredients. A fund is just another way of buying shares, but instead of buying them individually, fund managers buy a few different stocks wholesale and hold on to them. Then, Instead of you buying each individual stock, you just buy units in the fund itself, and that will give you a smaller chunk of all of the different stocks they own. This helps you to diversify. And just like a stock, the value of your units in the fund will go up and down based on how well the fund is doing. They're usually measured by how well they pick stocks, so if you don't know enough about individual stocks to pick your own, then you might as well just buy units in a fund and let them pick the stocks for you. That's not the end though. There are two types of funds. Actively managed funds would be like getting brand name packets of bread. And passively managed funds are like getting own brand bread. So what's the difference? Well, at the end of the day, they both have bread, right? In fact, they could both be using the exact same ingredients. However, the difference emerges over time. So in an actively managed fund, the fund managers will continually be monitoring its performance and changing the ingredient in response to changing market conditions. Whereas, in a passive fund, the ingredients are picked in advance and always stay the same. The fund will decide what proportion of its whole will be made up of individual stocks or markets. And as those markets change in value, individual shares will be bought and sold to maintain the same balance. 
So if the recipe calls for 5% Japanese automobile stocks and 3% US agriculture stocks, if the automobile starts doing really well, the fund may rebalance your portfolio by selling some of those shares to make sure that your total exposure to that market doesn't exceed 3% of your total portfolio. Hopefully that will make sense. It's not as bad as it sounds though, and despite one being called active and one being called passive, which usually indicates the passive may be inferior, passive investments are no slacker. In fact, many statistics show that passive funds usually outperform active ones over time. They're also cheaper because they don't require much looking after. Now that brings me on to the third point and the last thing we'll cover in this part. So once you've figured out what bread you want, you've also got a third consideration, your fees. This may sound like such a tiny microscopic thing, but it's definitely worth considering. As an example, if you invested £10,000 and it grew 5% each year with annual charges of 5%, in 10 years your investment would be worth £14,802. Now that's pretty impressive. But over that same period, if your annual charges were just 0.5% a year, the amount would be £15,530. That's £728 more. Now obviously I've started with a large amount, £10,000 may not be reasonable for all of you. I remember quite recently, a few weeks ago, I did a poll on Twitter where I asked people in salaried roles how much they save per month and what kind of total savings they have. And I drew a spectrum from 0 to £20,000. The majority of people fell on the lower half of that spectrum, specifically between 0 and £500. Then there was quite a huge gap where there weren't as many votes, and then there were a decent sliver of people that were on the either 10k plus or 20k plus tranche. So I definitely think that within my audience, and this this poll was out of roughly 500 people, 480 something, so there is definitely a broad spectrum, so you'll have to bear with me, I'm trying to make sure that I cover you know, people that do not have much to start with and people that have a substantial amount to start with. So going back to fees, in this analogy, the fees are a bit like choosing a shopping bag. For some people, picking the cheap, flimsy 5p bag in Tesco will do exactly the same job as getting the £2 tote bag in Marks & Spencer. However, if there are specific perks that you get from shopping in M&S, it might well be worth it for you to pay a little extra in fees. So in conclusion, I hope you found all of this helpful. It was really just a general introduction to get you familiar with a lot of the language and verbiage that you'll encounter during your investment journey. Next time we'll be comparing robo-advisors, investment apps and platforms and discussing all the simple easy ways for you to get started. That's all for today, thanks for tuning in. Please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe, it really helps the podcast. And if you have any comments or rebuttals, feel free to get at me on Twitter at DieDailyEdge or at JustCallMeBaba. Circle K is America's thirst stop. And yours. Especially when the weather gets... And you need to stay... Stay refreshed on the go with ice-cold Circle K favorites like freshly ground iced coffee, Froster, Polar Pop Cup, and more. And right now at Circle K, score with 28-ounce Gatorade. Any flavor, three for $5. When life's go, 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 make us your first stop. Because Circle K...
is America's thirst stop. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.